Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. TV5 Eyewitness News. After hours of digging and sifting, investigators came up with this. The coroner, Dr. William Cox, tells me it's Ricky Beard's right shoulder blade and it has a bullet hole in it. What it means is that a projectile, a bullet, went from the back of his body through the front of his body. And a rib bone found nearby, belonging to Mary Leonard, appears to have been severed, possibly by a knife. But even with this new evidence, police say they still have no idea why Beard and Leonard were killed. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal, and Ohio.com, this is Elusive Justice, the story of Ricky Beard and Mary Leonard. I'm Paula Schleiss, and helping me with this three-part series, which is covered in this podcast, as well as stories in print and online, are Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith, photographer Mike Cardew, and my Ohio Mysteries co-host, Steve Yoder. Now... Elusive Justice Part 2, Homicide. from the Lord Mass Electric Company were laying conduit for a fiber optic cable through the Merriman Valley off Riverview Road. The owner of an adjacent property approached them, accused them of digging on his land, and demanded they leave. The utility workers consulted with engineering designers and inspectors, confirmed that while they were just 30 feet from the homeowner's drive, they were still on railroad property and they continued to work. Over the next few days, the property owner, the smell of alcohol on his breath, continued to dog the workers, seeming to become more angry every day. And on May 29, his agitation reached a peak. He threatened to go get his shotgun and shoot the workers if they didn't cease immediately. The foreman was tired of the hassle, told the man to go ahead and get his gun, but he was also concerned enough that he drove to the job trailer down the street and called the Northampton Police Department. The foreman returned to the work site and police arrived. The officers were familiar with the property owner. They had been called to deal with his threats of violence against others before. After the officers took the foreman's report, a backhoe operating near them caused something to go skittering across the ground. It was a human skull. 
Well, I first noticed the skull. I was back full, filling the ditch, and I noticed the skull roll down in, into the ditch as I was throwing dirt into it. That's the backhoe operator talking to a news team from WEWS Channel 5 in Cleveland. At first, the crew and police thought the bone was centuries old. They lifted it up, set it on the cruiser, and stared at it while they speculated on whether they had just disturbed an Indian burial ground. Merriman Valley, after all, had a rich, documented history of Native American activity. But then the crew foreman noticed something that suggested the skull was much more recent than that. There were silver fillings in the teeth. Northampton police shut the worksite down and called Akron. Officers didn't need forensic specialists to tell them what they had found. A simple search of the dirt that the backhoe had turned up revealed pieces of clothing that the police were all too familiar with. Clothing that had matched the description of what teenagers Mary Leonard and Rick Beard had been wearing six years earlier when they went on a date to the movies and vanished without a trace. What Akron Chief of Police Philip Barnes had been calling the most intensive missing persons investigation in his city's history had ended, and a murder investigation began. The day was growing late. Akron police sent rookie officer Bob Swain to guard the bones, while the city's forensic team made preparations to excavate the site the following morning. After sunrise on May 30th, the phones of the Beard and Leonard family started ringing. From Ohio to Florida, from North Carolina to the Air Force Base on the Pacific Island of Okinawa, where Ricky Beard's brother Mike received the news. My commander came on and got me on the flight line, told me they need to talk to Red Cross, and said you're getting a flight out today and be back there a couple days. I was glad it was finally over with. I, I already felt deep down that that was the ending, that they were going to find bodies, they were never going to find living people, but that was finally an ending. At the Leonard House, Summit County Coroner William Cox wanted to break the news personally. Before we went down there, the coroner showed up at Mom and Dad's house when we were all there and uh, confirmed that it was Mary. And then after everybody calmed down a little bit, he said Ricky was there too. And so we knew both of them were there. And then shortly after that, we all went down to the site. Recovering the remains of Rick and Mary took all day. The forensic team realized quickly that the bodies had never been buried. They had lain on the surface of the ground for six years. But in dragging the dirt into its bucket, the backhoe had unwittingly mixed the bones with freshly turned soil. Mary's skull was released when the backhoe started to backfill the trench it had dug. And so the dirt had to be meticulously shoveled into screen boxes, a water hose doing the work of sifting mud from bone. In addition to their clothes, other items were recovered, including Mary's purse and wallet and the contents of Rick's pocket, his money clip, pocket knife, and loose change. Tim Beard drove his mom to Riverview Road and parked out of view of the recovery effort. I told her to stay in the car and I'll go back in the woods and I'll see what's going on. And then I went back there, they got the sheets laid out and they're trying to piece the skeletons together. That was the last time I seen him. My brother be put together like a puzzle. The family
families had the opportunity to see as much as they could take. I remember them showing me her dentures because I took her to the dentist and to see if, if I could verify that was her teeth. And I said, yes, that was her teeth. And then they showed us the scapula where the, the knife had pierced the scapula. Then they showed us the clothing, and we said, yes, this is definitely her. There's no doubt about it. Jerry Leonard, for one, regretted seeing as much as he did. They had two paper grocery bags with their skulls in it, and I, for some stupid reason, being as young as I was, I looked in there, and that was Mary's skull, because I could see her teeth, and I knew it was her right there. The remains were sent to the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., Summit County Coroner William Cox wanted experts helping to determine cause of death. But there was no need to wait to reclassify Mary and Rick from missing persons to homicide victims. And that distinction, while it cemented a horrible reality, also brought new hope. I thought, well, maybe now we'll have some clues as to what happened and we'll have some, some resolution to this. But now that we found the, the remains... Now we can maybe find out why, because that's the, you know, that's the big puzzle is why. Another silver lining about finally finding their remains was that Ricky and Mary were back in the news, and a case that had started fading from the public's attention was once again front and center. Rick's mom, Helen, told Channel 5 news reporter Tom Shea she hoped the attention would bring forth some new witnesses or shake up someone's conscience. I hope that someone out there hears it and gets scared or does something and brings, brings it out in the light what happened. The Smithsonian returned the bones and their report a few weeks later, and the families were given closure of a sort. They were finally able to mourn their losses. Their funerals were both held on Saturday, July 13, 1985 a mass at St. Martha's Church for Rick at 9.30 a.m., followed by a mass for Mary at 11. Both were buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in Akron. Many family members made the solemn pilgrimage to both gatherings. I just remember going to the funeral home and then thinking, oh my God, I have to go over to the other funeral home too and see Mary's family. And... I think my biggest concern was really for my mom. My dad was gone by then, and I just wanted to help her get through that. The discovery of the bodies had given police new information to work with, but every new clue brought multiple theories and interpretations. The final autopsy reports revealed brutal, violent deaths. Rick Beard had been shot at least twice, at the base of the neck from the front and again from the back through his right shoulder. Mary Leonard had been shot too, once in the back and twice in the left arm, but she also had a chipped tooth consistent with a blow to the chin, a stab wound in her ribs, a cracked sternum, and a fractured arm. What did it mean that Mary's death was so much more involved? Was Ricky killed quickly so one or more perpetrators could take their time with Mary? Or were the killers foes of Ricky who made him watch the assault on his girl? Or was it nothing like that at all? Did Mary try to flee a moving car? 
Could she have been unconscious but alive when she was dragged to the spot where she was found, causing additional injuries? Those are just some of the ideas debated by investigators and the families. I think they killed her first. And yes. yes. I think they made yes. him sit and watch. Yes. Yes. I do too. She was tortured. Yes. And he had to watch, I'm sure. Bill Beard sees it that way too. It makes sense to me that they were beating on her to get him to talk or, you know, something. You know, they were torching her in front of him so that she, so he would say what they wanted to say or whatever. And, and he didn't back down. No, he wouldn't back no, down from anyone. He would not have backed down. He didn't, back, he didn't back down from any of us, and it wouldn't have changed anywhere with anybody else he's dealing with. But Bill said that still doesn't explain the motivation. I mean, why would they beat a, a 17-year-old girl up that badly for for what? When she, they stabbed and shot her, too. I mean, why stab? Why? Shooting's plenty. Or they killed him first and then, you know, had their way with her or whatever, and, you right. know, which really would have had, probably had to do to... He would have fought him to, to his death. The location of the remains was another clue. Who knew that the drive, slipping between trees and tall overgrowth with nothing really visible around, was even there? It led to a home, a football field away, back up in the woods, but it was remote enough that some local kids had tried to use it as a lover's lane. Somebody must have known that. Mary wasn't one of them. There's no way she went there willingly, her friend Carla said. We didn't even know where it was. I mean, it wasn't like it's something that we were familiar with. So you can't imagine them going down there to make out? I would never imagine her doing something like that. If Rick and Mary had been killed where their bodies were found, how could it be that no one heard multiple gunshots? And nobody noticed the telltale smell of decomposition since it was clear the bodies had never been buried. There were good answers for both of those things. I was talking to one of the police officers and he said, first he pointed out, he says, what you see here now, it was, they cleared the area. He said, that's not the way it was. It was right. really overgrown mm-hmm. when the bodies were found. And I said, well, if they were, if they were shot here and there was more than one shot, fired, I says, uh, you know, why wouldn't if somebody have heard it? He said, well, he got the railroad tracks right there. He said, if there had been a train going by at the time, he wouldn't have heard it. Right. And he said, as far as the smell, there was a sewage treatment plant right, right. up the road. He said, they would have attributed to that. Now that the remains had been discovered on Riverview Road, police could begin to speculate on the role that Rick's car played the night of their deaths. Six years earlier, his Impala was found on an unused farm lane off Portage Trail at the entrance to a decrepit cinder block garage with rotting wooden doors. Bloodhounds, the lack of blood in the car, and other circumstances convinced authorities that Rick and Mary were never at that site that whoever killed them drove the car here to separate it from the bodies. It was less than two miles between the two crime scenes. Did this prove that more than one person was involved? How else to explain that someone could expect to drive the Impala to Portage Trail and then have transportation away from this rural, sparsely populated area? But then again, there was a bar on the corner, the only business in the area back in 1979, 
Could a single killer have simply walked to the bar, mixed with patrons, and called an unsuspecting friend for a ride? Or Mike Beard wonders if the killer chose the location because they frequented the bar and took a chance on knowing someone there who would give him a lift. It's somebody near there that knew the location, because I feel whoever did it knew where their garage was when they put the car there, and they walked from there over to that closest bar, and that's where they got picked up from or got a ride home from later. For the next 30 years, different Akron investigators would pull the story of Ricky Beard and Mary Leonard out of the department's cold case closet and dust it off. Unfortunately, three different jurisdictions had a piece of it over the years. The teens were from Akron, their car and bodies were found in Northampton Township, and the township later merged with Cuyahoga Falls. Somewhere along the line, reports were lost. As recently as 2010, Akron police were re-interviewing former Northampton police officers, utility crew workers, Akron officers who had worked the case 30 years earlier, trying to capture old memories. Here's Lieutenant David Whitten, who heads what Akron calls its Crimes Against Persons Unit. Just reading back, it could definitely, I saw how it hindered this investigation because there were interviews that were being done and people that were being talked to and statements that were made that people said, well, so-and-so told this to this officer when there wasn't no documentation of it. Um, that is speci- that's a specific example in this case. Well, I heard this person confessed. Well, there's no documentation. So that definitely I could see where it did create some kind of uh, issue in this case. Another example. In 1980, police announced a source had told them the bodies could be found along the banks of the Little Cuyahoga River. It was a tip that made an impression. Authorities organized 150 volunteers into a search party. When Rick and Mary's remains were found five years later, they were just down the street from where the search had ended. The tip seemed reliable after all, but there's no record of it. If anyone had written down who said it, what was said, how he knew, that file is gone. There's also a reference to a sketch that somebody put out of a possible suspect, and there's no reference to where it came from. So... I mean, I don't know where that came from. Lieutenant Whitten is talking about when the Leonards hired a private investigator to help look for their daughter in 1979. The PI asked the media to publish the drawing of a bushy-haired man with a mustache, which he said a witness had spotted traveling with Ricky the night he disappeared. But police have no record of that. None of that is to say police weren't diligent. Actually, they proved they were willing to try anything to solve this case, even calling on the supernatural. Back in 79, when Ricky and Mary were still missing persons, authorities tried to reach out to the amazing Kreskin, a mentalist who had a popular TV show and had just been in town performing at E.J. Thomas Hall. He never returned their call. So they invited two local psychics to take a tour of the areas the teens had visited the night they disappeared. Nothing came of that. But in 2006, long after it was known they had been killed, Akron officer Robert Swain placed a call to a medium. That led to the story being featured on a TV show called Sensing Murder, 
where two psychics came to Akron, held clothing and bits of bone, and visited crime sites to try and stir visions. Lieutenant Whidden makes no apologies that his department was willing to exhaust every possibility. I have my doubts about their abilities, but then again, I was open-minded, and Bob was really sincere about doing it, and uh, I wanted to do, my philosophy is I want to do everything I can to support, uh, you know, the investigators, and uh, at the point, I guess I was thinking back, well, why not? Let's, let's, let's just see, maybe, maybe something will happen. One small thing about that effort intrigued to police. The psychics, who were interviewed separately, both said they sensed the involvement of a muscle car that was either red or orange. That was odd and unique enough that Swain went back and visited some old sources to see if anyone knew of such a car. But it didn't really go anywhere. It's something that we don't use often anymore. We just try to, you know, use more technological stuff now, you know, with all the search things we can have, radar, uh, dogs, stuff like that. We try to do it more, you know, conventionally. But I wanted to support Bob, and uh, it really wasn't that hard to arrange, and it's kind of interesting because they claim they didn't know anything about the case, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, whether you believe it or not, or that stuff, you think that stuff legitimate, it's still interesting. The Beards and Leonards had very different reactions to the use of psychics. All six Leonard siblings were open-minded about it and said their mom, Gloria, had consulted with several herself. While the couple was still missing, one psychic sent them to the area of Zalay's Farm, a popular produce market on Riverview Road, and told them to look for something orange and something blue. Ricky and Mary's remains were found on Riverview Road, just down the street from Zalay's, and within sight of an old discarded couch that was orange and a railroad utility box that was blue. Nancy Flock said her mom could never forget that a fortune teller at a county fair once told her one of her children would not reach adulthood. In 1979, Gloria Leonard only had two minor children left. And from that point on, that's when mom always had that feeling about Mary, that she would never, never get married, never have a family of her own. Tom Leonard remembers that too. And mom had always said that she never worried about any of us but her. She was, I had a feeling. She, I never thought it would be anything like this. But I, she said, I felt if she could make it, that something between the age of 17, and if she could make it to 21, she would be good. The five beard siblings, in contrast, are far from believers, calling psychics snake oil salesmen. Still, Luann Eddy granted the Sensing Murder TV show an interview, because she wasn't going to turn down any opportunity to keep her brother's case in the public eye. I do think that any time you bring it up, maybe somebody's going to say something. I don't think the psychics were going to discover anything. But what if they found one little morsel of something? Because they did reenact the whole thing, and it was that TV show. As new generations of Akron police investigators picked up the case from time to time to give it a look, new generations of Beard and Leonard family members were being born. Youngsters who grew up not knowing their Uncle Rick and Aunt Mary, but still knowing of them. 
Back in 1979, during a fundraiser for Mary at North High School, her brother Jerry accepted a hug from a classmate. They eventually married, and Jerry and Connie Leonard had a daughter who developed a special bond for her absent aunt. Our daughter uh, never got to obviously meet Mary, but always seemed extremely close to her. And she had written at one time a letter. They had to do a project. She was 10, and it was um, your perfect Christmas present. What would be your perfect Christmas present? And she had written that she would give the gift of life to her Aunt Mary. Tiffany Beard grew up in the house where her Uncle Rick lived. His bedroom was her bedroom. Me and my sister, we shared the attic, and that's where the four boys shared. When you're going through things, you find, like, their old school papers or something that Grandma had up there. Nothing. I, I just don't know how she had six kids in that little house because me and my sister can't even share a room, just the two of us. <laughs> Christmas has been a particularly hard time in the Beard household, where the season used to transform Rick. I think he was just joyous. Okay. He, it was kind of his whole, he liked winter, he liked snow, and Christmas was the cherry on top for him. I think the first couple Christmases, on Christmas Eve, I think we kind of sat there like, oh, he's, he's going to come in the door. Because he, would, he wouldn't miss Christmas. If he could possibly be home, he would come home for Christmas. Everyone mourned their losses differently. Gloria Leonard wanted her daughter Mary to still be part of her everyday life. Dad was always very quiet about it, but I asked Mom one time, I said, do you like to talk about Mary? Because everybody's different. Mm -hmm. And she said I'd talk about Mary every day if I could. And I'd say talk away, so we did. But for Helen Beard, the loss of her son Rick was a pain that never dulled something her grandchildren learned the first time they tried to broach the subject of their late uncle. We just didn't talk to our grandma about this very often because it's just something that upset her. That's another of Rick's nieces, Laura Kelly. We spent a lot of weekends at grandma's house growing up. My parents would go on date nights, things like that. So we were probably, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, something like that. For I don't know why we ended up asking her that Saturday night about Uncle Rick. And she got very upset and really didn't talk about it at all with us. And so we stopped and we never talked about it again. The only other time I ever mentioned anything to my grandma about it was when she was passing away in the hospital. And um, one of the last things I ever said to her was, go be with your baby. And she squeezed my hand. It wasn't long after that she was gone. Rick and Mary's parents are all gone now, but the siblings are still here. Five beards, six Leonards. Richard Leonard, the eldest, was already out of the house by the time Mary was reaching her formative years. He was raising his own family while Mary was going through school. When siblings are spaced that far apart, it's usually adulthood when the oldest and youngest finally find the time to get to know each other. Richard was robbed of that opportunity. Being the oldest, it really bothers me that I don't remember a lot about Mary. I don't know why, just because of maybe it's such an age difference or yeah. what, but I just, for some reason, 
it bothers me. I mean, it just bothers me that I can't remember a lot about Mary, you know. Mm -hmm. I, remember. I think about her all the time. Over the years, police had no shortage of theories of what happened to Rick and Mary that summer night in 1979. But it's hard to find one single theory that fits all the facts and all the statements collected from dozens of friends, family, and witnesses. And so the case grew cold. It was reopened for a time in the 1990s when a sister-brother team of Akron police detectives who grew up in North Hill took a fresh look at it. Then it went back into the unsolved homicides closet and gathered dust for a few more years. In 2006, the 10 binders of reports were pulled out again. This time, the officer who babysat Mary and Ricky's bones the night they were discovered in 1985 asked for permission to put his years of experience at work on the case. He spent years retracing the entire investigation from the start and offered new thoughts and theories. But the DNA technology that is solving cold cases all over the country won't be offering any magical solution here. There is no DNA to match a killer to. Their confidence of solving this comes from, these are bad people that did this. So more than one person knows about this. We're going to catch one of them, and then they're going to roll on the other one. Somebody's going to talk to lighten their sentence. And that's their whole, in my opinion, from what I've gathered, is what their whole, what they're banking on to, to solve this. Among all the theories, three have risen to the top. The Leonards lean toward one. The Beard family, another. Just as the Akron police investigating teams themselves are split between two very different scenarios. Next, on the final episode of Elusive Justice. Sure, there are several theories that have come and gone over the years. Where does this theory of this gentleman being involved rank to you personally among all the theories? Uh, I think it's very strong. Most of it now at this point is circumstantial, but I think if you look at, uh, you know, looking back based on my experience now, how we look at cases, I think it's just as good, if not better, than anything else that, that has been looked at. This podcast was done in conjunction with the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. Find photographs, maps, videos, timelines, newspaper clippings, and more in the Beacon Journal print edition, online at Ohio.com, as well as on our website, OhioMysteries.com. Additional editing for the series by Cheryl Powell. Audio mixed by Steve Yoder. We'd also like to extend our gratitude to News Channel 5 in Cleveland for archived audio content and to the many talented musical artists who offer their work through a Creative Commons license. Please see our episode notes for links to our main theme music, Wasteland by Ross Bugden, 
and all the music used in this series. Find more Ohio Mysteries episodes on our website or through your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon. Rick loved Christmas, and I think the first couple Christmases, on Christmas Eve, I think we kind of sat there like, oh, he's, he's going to come in the door, because he, would, he wouldn't miss Christmas. If he could possibly be home, he would come home for Christmas. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.